Hello, dear lurkers out there. Here are hopefully your most favorite Babylons of the Third Age Babylon 5 podcast. And yes, we're finally back as three people. You can see us all now because I finally made it back from my vacation. Um, and yes, we are starting today with the new episode, um, which I watched for the first time. Leila watched for the second time and Alex watched it so often we stopped counting. Um, just real quick, uh, summit for the um, episode. Well, there are technically there are just three important um, aspects to uh, know about it. It's we have some sort of religious summit uh, where every or almost every um, ambassador presents their um, most important religion. We have an assassination attempt on Jakar and we have some relationship issues with Sinclair again. Did I miss something? You didn't give us the episode title, but other than that, this was great. Yeah, then um, the interesting thing is I uh, had to rewatch the last minutes uh, at home, which uh, where I had only the German version. Uh, the funny thing is in English, it's the Parliament of Dreams um, and the um, German title would uh, translate to something like Attack on Jakar, which is highly uninteresting and boring and gives up everything that's happens uh, is happening in this episode so yeah <laughs> but it's um, such an interesting example because it's not only that the translations are bad they go like out of their way looking up another plot in the episode to then describe that instead of the novel title it's it's a mystery to me why bother with the original when you can butcher it well, uh, before we jump in um, on our discussion, uh, our question um, for today's um, more imp uh, important, um, clearly, introduction is um, which way you like to celebrate, like your birthday or something? Um, yeah. Oh, that's a difficult question. I don't really agree on that. Um... Um, so we wanted to, to answer that, like, in relation to the episode, so if it's rather like a Mambari party or rather like a Centauri party, ooh, uh, uh, neither, I guess. I don't know. How do I celebrate? Oh, God, that's actually to be more difficult. How do you celebrate? A good question. Uh, do I celebrate anything ever? Yes. But if, I guess, I'd more be, uh, it'll be more like the Centauri party. Like, if I do, I think I like to escalate completely. Um, yeah. So you try to become one with your inner self, just like Londo did, passing out on the table? Yeah, I think that's kind of the goal, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I guess for me it's going to be probably also gut instinct neither, but if it comes down to it, Probably more like like the Minbari ceremony, not exactly because that sounds like the more fun one, but I, I have to talk to less people and there is like more interesting little background there. I, I, I like this like poem that they're reciting that sounds like, like it could be part of something interesting. So yeah, just the opposite. Well, I have to say... Um... It would, or my case, it would be neither of these versions. Um, but if I 
would try to incorporate what was shown in this episode, I would say um, I would probably try the Mimbari way, but it would, uh, because of the guests, would turn to the um, to to the um, Centauri version. And I, at the end, I would just uh, send somewhere in the corner and judge the people on my party for leaving. <laughs> All these people that you have invited, what the degeneracy they are up to. Okay. Like, why did I invite you? Why do I even like you? Why am I, why am I friends with you? <laughs> no, not, not that hard. See, and none of us took the alternate answer that the episode offers and say maybe it's just like a nice dinner at the local restaurant like Sinclair and Catherine did, so... Because that's even more boring. Yeah, I guess we are all just too much of party animals to do that. Yeah, I mean, our problem with the Membari party is that I grew up kind of weirdly new age religious, so that kind of always gives me flashback to reading horoscopes and stuff like that, so... I think even if it would be performed seriously, I can take it seriously and I would just flee. Just, just uh, replace the new age stuff with, with some nerdy stuff you, you like and everything is nice, like a theme party of, of your favorite uh, author or favorite series and everything is fine. I think regardless of what party we are celebrating, we can all agree on the alien costumes. Those are a good idea. We should all keep those no matter what it looks like. But okay, I think with, with your comment, we are already starting a little bit into the main discussion part of our show. Uh, Mike already did like a great synopsis. So which of the three main plots of this episode would we like to start talking about? Was there anything that triggered a especially emotional response like Sinclair's jumping into the fray last time? I have to say, if it's the, the relationship um, part, uh, when it started, I was like, oh, can I skip this episode, please? Because, yeah, I, I well, I have to admit, I'm not really the romantic type. Um, and, and this is just so over the top and it, it, it's sappy and... Uh, it, it starts out kind of cheesy, and that's true. Yes. <laughs> it, it's also, cheesy most of the time. The end yeah. is, is somewhat okay, but the most part didn't feel right in, in any way. It uh, feels very much 90s in that moment, yeah. I think the soundtrack doesn't help it because it gets <laughs> like really overbearing in these scenes, and especially early on, I feel like, Babylon 5 doesn't have a ton of music, so there's this one, like, synthesizer romance theme that starts really going in there, and uh, that that might become a little bit much. But, uh, I mean, in this case, it's it's probably a, a blessing that uh, Catherine is a spaceship captain that will go out into the unknown and probably don't, won't be on the station all of the time, so maybe you will be saved having Sinclair in a relationship uh, always and every time. The, the point is, I think if it would be a lot different if they had a, a long-term relationship and you would see her more regularly uh, and also there is really a relationship and not just some little talk and then a sex scene because that's that's basically it that that's what they what they what the relationship they presented yeah it, it contains yeah, we kind of get to know so much about their past and I mean to kind of have these people that you run into and then 
have these long, long, long stories with, I don't know, I found that part the most relatable. They were just talking about it like it was, I don't know, <clears throat> a teenage love story. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess that, that, that dynamic I found relatable, but the way it was narrated was a bit like, oh. Oh, maybe that's my problem because it felt like a teenage love story and and not like a like a grown up um, <laughs> version. Because there's, I mean, it's uh, the the problem with with most love stories, especially if if they start or if it's something like an on off relationship, like Sinclair and uh, has here with Catherine. Um, there's a difference between falling in love with someone and being in love. Because being in love is work, it it, it it's it, it's a dedication, and and it's it's um, you have to to always um, communicate with each other and and things like that. Uh, but falling in love is just your um, thinking of 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 an ideal of you you think how it could be, but it has nothing to do with reality, and that's kind of the problem here uh, because it's it, it's yeah th that's what why they fail they just think how it should be and don't get to the work part did i <laughs> you, you look you look a bit puzzled <laughs> no, no, no. you're getting closer and closer to the screen so i feel like you have an answer and yeah, no, i'm just getting closer to the screen because where i said the light just doesn't reach my face Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I don't know. I still kind of, I mean, maybe it's just because they both have these lives that are so demanding so that they constantly put all of their energy and all of their work into that. But I find this, this kind of consolation that they have also very relatable on some level, actually. So I kind of feel like how they are written would work out if they would just stop talk or talk differently. Or I don't know. I, I guess there's there's a difference between their relationship being relatable and functional also. Like, I, I definitely get the point that, that their point of failure seems to be this disability to really commit what they are doing. And I mean, this is what they are also aware of. They're constantly talking about that. Uh, on the other hand, that doesn't make the relationship, in for, for my viewing experience, necessarily very unrealistic, just something that is not... Not incredibly compelling to watch, maybe, in the beginning. Um, in fairness to the show, um, I, I think the relationship that they were going for was supposed to be a little bit more invested. I think their favorite plan would have been to keep the relationship that Sinclair had from the pilot and carry it over to here so that she wouldn't be an entirely new character, but somebody that we've already seen. But of course, because of scheduling issues and because the production was stretched out so long, this didn't work out here. Um, but in this case, do you see a potential for this relationship to get better uh, better for you if they do keep it up, if they actually manage to commit to it uh, this time around? Or was this such a bad start that there is no chance? Uh, maybe I'm a bit blocking this because of the start, because it's exactly what I dislike. Um, I mean, there's always a way to make a relationship work but it's not an easy way and mm. i think the 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 problem um would be like like how how would 
those two be able to connect on a longer term? I mean, they obviously, yes, they have a few things they um, they talk about from what I think it's the, the brother and the father or something like they know the families, but um, what's what would they I, that the question is what would there be like interest their interests is is there a way for for them to communicate about it or or i mean uh, what is I, I, with the she catherine gets a lot of money mm. um i mean they don't even really talk about this so if if they are not able to to talk about the mundane the daily for for them um yeah I don't know. It's, it's it's really complicated because, yeah. Maybe let's try and touch on this point of what do they have in common? What might be something that actually is able to connect them? Because we get one scene and uh, to, to all of your uh, relief, this is also something that can lead us to the different uh, other plots of the show. Um, there is one point where he talks about the Minbari ceremony. And this is where uh, Catherine immediately jumps on and explains to him that this rebirth ceremony of this Membari could also double as as a kind of marriage ceremony. And I found this interesting just from the simple world-building perspective that on one hand you have the commander of the station of Babylon 5, a guy whose job it is to facilitate interspecies relations, and then you have the private spaceship surveyor captain who is just out there in the galaxy having her own adventures, and she just happens to know a little bit more about this particular alien custom because she's been out there in the galaxy. This part I, I actually kind of enjoy for her that you get this sense, oh, she's she's just been around the world a little bit. And this, I could imagine, is also something that these two have in common, that they both have kind of this excitement about being in the galaxy and this excitement on some kind of doing what Sinclair does all the time, jumping into the starship and going out there and... He is in a position where he shouldn't really do that. She has made this her job. So maybe this is sort of what brings them together, this excitement about being there. And maybe through this, Babylon 5 is sort of the one place in the galaxy where this interest can be strong enough for both of them to build a relationship out of. I I don't know. I don't want to advocate for their relationship too much at, at this point because we, we only get to see it in this one episode so far. Um, but but this is sort of the, the main point that I also found most interesting about her character just on her own, that she has sort of this adventuring streak that I see somewhat reflected in Sinclair. Yeah, I mean, she she is an archaeologist, and we already uh, pointed out a few episodes ago, I guess, that archaeology is uh, somewhat more interesting and different in that universe, so she definitely has the potential to see a lot of very uh, groundbreaking things. I don't know if she's an archaeologist per se. Was an archaeologist? I'm, I always had her in my mind. I'm not. I'm not sure. At least the way it's uh, it's shown here, it's more that she's doing like planetary surveys and she sort of sells the information that she collects to companies to do buy. Yeah, no, no. I think I mixed her up with a character from the second season. Possible. Yeah. Possible. Okay. But I mean, it's it's still like your your point is completely valid. Still that she. Even if there is archaeology to be found on these rocks that she's looking at, this is definitely something that she'd still be involved in. Yeah. I have to throw in when she uh, said that with the rebirth ceremony also being a marriage um, ceremony, I had to say my spider senses were tingling like, oh my gosh, 
uh, that's that's another moment for for the fan art uh, or fan fiction department to go wild. I mean, maybe let's 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 start talking a little bit about the uh, the alien ceremonies and the sort of the main attraction of the episode. And if we start with the Mandari ceremony, her comment definitely rings some alarm bells. But I think. Uh, Mira Furlan's performance as Dylan on its own, I think, would be enough to trigger every fan art that will ever come out of this because <laughs> she was definitely doing some looks there in Sinclair's direction and uh, yes. taking full advantage of this little red fruit that she was eating. I'm sure it was um, a tomato, a cherry tomato. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, in general, what are we thinking about this Minbari ceremony? Up to this point, we've talked a, a little bit about the Minbari already as sort of a, a culture that we've met. And this is, I think, the biggest sort of insight we get beyond Dylan's personal point of view. This is actually a, a little bit of a view into the, uh, into Minbari society, both through the ceremony and then also through her aid that arrives for the first time on the station. We get to see Lanier, who is um, very timid when he comes aboard. <laughs> I have to admit, uh, somehow uh, all I remember <laughs> are the other red fruits and and the looks. I I'm not really sure uh, what was said when um, during during the, the ceremony, but I would just uh, think it it something akin uh, fitting to to um, the obedience and and. Um, role that that uh, Lear is so um, strong posing when he's um, arriving. This I, I thought was a nice sort of juxtaposition in this episode. On the one hand we get the Mbari ceremony and this feels a little bit like we've just arrived at Rivendell, right? There's harp playing and uh, little bells going, everybody has ropes and everybody has ropes and there is this this holy text i presume that they are reciting about the nine that are vowing to sacrifice themselves to some greater cause and such and all of this is is very mythical and great and it kind of fits this image of oh those are the space elves big coded as the good guys they are like about light and crystals and everything is fine with them and then we get to meet one of them in in person and he's very nice and talks about living in a temple and gives us this wonderful quote, I don't understand, but understanding is not required, only obedience. And suddenly a lot of alarm bells are going off because that is a cult sentiment. That is not normal. That is not something that you want to hear as like a foundational piece of any kind of culture. And I, I, I thought that it's probably not a coincidence that we learn these two different things about the Membari culture in the same episode. On one hand, sort of how nice and ceremonial and traditional it can all look like, but then also that it's obviously underpinned by some very questionable ideology. In general, the Membari just always give me these vibes of these hippies that have dark secrets, of these cults that are, look so, super hippie, peaceful, whatever, and then just turn out to be super scary when you're too deep in it. And I think that's kind of like one focus of, of, of this rewatching, actually, that I realize the Membari is kind of the Lombardi culture in general just rings this bell of being interesting and being 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 like something hopeful, something full of light, something full of peace that you can just kind of kind of look look up to in especially in difficult and uh, struggling times. 
but uh, that has all of these elements that are so so frightening and dark. And it feels like the fake uh, car in the jungle book. Yeah. <laughs> Drop that's, me. That's a callback, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 quite apt. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So we would all be in in Garibaldi's boat who refuses to eat the fruit. We are not going to drink the Kool Aid. We are not and, not, and, not and, interested and, in this cult. I mean, how he acted. I mean, everything that was missing that was written under nope. <laughs> I mean, his face is saying it so hard. Nope, not. Yeah. Me. He's he's not it. In general, out of everyone we see on the human side, he seems the least enthused about the entire idea of this uh, exchange program of of religious ideas from the very first uh, scene. Where he he yeah. he this guy never received any kind of sensitivity training in terms of other cultures. He's he's just straight up not interested in these religious people coming aboard. But can we talk for a moment about the fact that in this uh, stage we still have someone in Earth Central who uh, gives the command, who organizes this kind of festival? Because uh, we we've heard last last we've heard from Earth were kind of only bad news that we had these pro Earth groups and gathering more and more supporters, and that Earth was getting their hands on this uh, technology that we had seen in the last episode. So there were a lot of news that were worrisome mm. from the political point of view from Earth. And now we still see at the moment we still have a government that tries to function in a positive way on this intergalactic level still. So that's interesting, I guess. It is, and it definitely shows us that we are we, we don't have a monolith here, right? The Earth is a big place with a lot of people and the government is a big organization and there are different departments and not all of them have been sort of involved in the bioweapons development that we saw in Infection. Others are genuinely interested still in this thing. I mean, we have this religious uh, ceremony now, but in general, like, the Earth Alliance is still funding Babylon 5 as a program in general. Although, as a caveat to that, um, I'm, I'm still somewhat interested sort of what the plan was for the Earth presentation. Because we we see Sinclair who says, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And then he puts together his own little presentation uh, in the final scene, which we are going to talk about a little bit later. But personally, I don't believe that Earth Alliance said to the commander of the station, have this big festival and then didn't provide any kind of plan beforehand. It feels to me more so like Sinclair just kind of chucked the old plan out of the window and did whatever else uh, he, he wanted for himself. But I wonder if maybe, uh, you know, the the Earth first elements that we have in Earth Alliance were more like, oh, we're going to give this like big military parade and then, I don't know, there's a Mormon choir going to be singing and then it's going to be this like glorious presentation of why Earth culture is the best on Babylon 5. So I mean, this could still be the play. You think humans in general have turned into Americans? I'm not saying that, but... Oh, wait, I said it on the internet. That was maybe a bad idea. <laughs> uh, well, no, it's just... Earth Alliance as a whole is very much modeled after uh, the United States. That's just the thing. It has a president, it has, like, the, a, a Senate, uh, which represents, like, the different nations slash states on the globe. So it's that, that is just a comparison that we kind of have to make. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I just think that there... 
might have been plans on Earth for this festival that might have been less optimistic than what Sinclair himself gave us. So that also might have been less religious in the end, you mean? I think so, because it's talked about showcasing cultures and traditions and religion is always a part of that, but I think it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly this. And I, I think the Centauri ceremony is a nice example for this, where, you know, their god statues are a part of it, but that in and of itself isn't a religious ceremony uh, by that point. Anything more about the Mimbati? Otherwise, I think we, we can switch over to the Centauri ceremony. Um, I would just chime in for um, the the last part you said about, um, yeah, that, that you can't imagine uh, that... that uh, Earth Alliance says we uh, here we we do this this summit and have no plan for what it's what is presented. Um, that would be a version I, I I would totally agree on. But also I could imagine that it was something like oh we we have to um, on the one hand we have to prove that that uh, it's it's somewhat worthwhile because we're still giving money there so we have to use this direction to um yeah showcase that uh, we're actually doing we're actually using this station for something um and yeah like like quick idea or, or and and yeah Sinclair is the one who has to carry out um that's also that. something I I could uh, imagine there just so, so that they can say just for the public relations, yeah, we're, we're using Babylon 5. It's it's not a waste of money. Of course. Yeah. And now that you're talking about this, um, if I think about artillery motives, there is certainly also a history of sort of using cultural traditions and ceremonies and presenting them as this, like, fun exotic thing that you can do but not necessarily in the most respectful or realistic light so it might also have been a way for earth to kind of point at babylon 5 and say look at all these funny little alien people and their weird little religions aren't we glad that we are more advanced than this like if you want to go the more dare i say it star trek route of saying ah we have moved we have evolved beyond the need of religion you know, that would be an easy way to, to also establish that by saying, look at all these like backwards people and their uh, stupid little religions and we are, are better than that. Let's move on to the Centauri uh, side of things, which is going to be a more exciting ceremony or was a more exciting ceremony. Uh, very much different, uh, although I, I will still maintain that it has the same parallel of being this great celebration on the surface and then as soon as they start talking about why it is a celebration, Suddenly, everything gets a much darker undertone. Yeah, it, at first, it gives the that that feeling of a, of a bacchanalia uh, uh, celebration uh, in, in favor of, of uh, oh, <laughs> I'm missing the the English uh, name here. Uh, Dion Diana Dionysus, help me out. Dionysus. <laughs> yes. Let's uh, let's say bachos with the Latin one. It's easier to pronounce. Yes, people. Um, yeah, depending if, if you, if you go for the Greek or the, or the, um, yeah. The Roman one. The Roman one. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's like, like a lot of, a lot of drinks, a lot of food, um, a lot of women running around. Um, if you look at, at, um, 
copied some some um, art from from that time. Um, of if if it's just if you look at um, something like the Greek mythology, or um, you have so much um, presented in in exactly this way. Um, so yeah, that seems to me certainly um, um, the a citation here. And I think this is interesting that out of all the depictions of the Centauri that we've seen so far, this is the one which I feel like reflects most as ancient empire, Roman empire, sort of this pop culture image of, uh, you know, Nero in his palace, uh, setting Rome on fire and celebrating over, over the flames. Um, and uh, very recently we had this wonderful poll on, on uh, Twitter going where we were asking people about what is uh, the the Centauri Republic most like? And we were still mostly in the in the late French camp, where uh, it's it's was more about sort of the politics that they are doing. But now that we're looking at the way they are partying, this seems more carnal almost. This is like very much this uh, the this this ancient style and the way that they talk about all the difference. It's it's uh, sort of. Uh, this this celebration of uh, yeah even that the way they talk about of ancient events of this heroic time when they were fighting for their survival and the way they describe like we would count our living uh, members of our entire species and such it's very much like I'm reading the Odyssey and about reading about the Trojan Wars rather than any real historical event. Yeah, we also had a discussion here uh, when we watched the episode right now how we have to understand the conflict with the Zorn. Zorn. Yeah, the Zorn. Zorn. Um, because they are written with an X, I was confused. But yeah, um, if they were actually another species, like if they, for example, um, 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 had their own version like the Neanderthals, like very closely related, but still another kind of species or, or subspecies, and um, drove them to extinction, like if there really was a biological difference, or if it was just a group of centauri and it was just a racism construct, so that now, like it's a version, and like you said, if the Nazis had won, then in 300 years in the future, we would have also have this narration of there was a different kind of people and actually really wasn't. And that's a question to discuss, actually, which, which version it was. I tend, because of something I know from later on when I watched everything, I tend to the second version so that there was not another species on that planet but it's open for discussion definitely yeah i would yeah, even with without the knowledge uh, you have from um later episodes i also would tend to um to the second version it just feels more real realistic relatable i'm, I'm not sure how to uh, describe it but it, it feels like like it would fit better in in this context especially if it's something like so ancient so old um it's more likely that it's yeah something on on this level and i think it's also very fitting with what we've learned about centauri culture so far the way that they sort of portray themselves uh, if we think back to born to the purple he talked about how it's all about mask all about appearances so in their eyes, it might be just this thing. If you have a group of people that are branded as a different species, as another kind, and they lose the war, then that is just the reality might makes right, whether or not that was biologically founded or not. And we also know that the Centauri are 
playing fast and loose with definitions of species. Like they find Earth and they say, oh, those are our long lost cousins. It doesn't matter that they are genetically completely different. We will just incorporate them into the empire as a long lost colony as long as that's right. And let's just for a second entertain the notion this had actually worked. I'm sure the Centauri would have just found like a way to explain around their definitions to make that work uh, in their, as part of their empire rather than getting stuck up on the biology of it. And I imagine this conflict with the Zon might have been something very similar where, yeah, it's it's just something that they've established now because then it feels just better. What I found interesting here when I compare these two uh, ceremonies is that we know exactly what is celebrated how when we look at the Centauri. It's something dark, but we know what and why and how. And I, I, I at the moment, I make that context for the Lambari. I just know that they make this kind of mysterious rebirth a ceremony, but I don't know what is celebrated. Like, why are we doing that? Yes, and uh, I mean, it's it's fair to say that is just down to the fact that the Centauri are very open about celebrating genocide. They provide us with this context with no hesitation, and the uh, uh, Minbari are obviously much more guarded about what their religion is all about. They don't give you the context for the story that is being told. We know something about the Nine and something about sacrifice and something about defeat, but they don't explain the context of this, and they also explain that this is a rebirth ceremony that can double as a marriage ceremony. This is something that we also only learn after the fact, so it seems like they are willing to show off some of what they are doing, but they are not going to explain it. And this too is something, if you talk about this feeling a little bit like New Age religion and stuff, that seems kind of like this superficial, oh, I'm just going to show you and then you're going to get it. And this goes beyond words. I don't need to explain what this is. You just look at the crystal and you feel that it's healing you. Don't I, don't question it. Don't come at me with like history and science about this. That's that's not not the point here. So yeah, maybe this is a little bit of what's going on. Yeah. Do we want to try? I don't know if there is actually a lot of stuff to talk about there, but I, I think it's kind of notable that we get to see two, as is described, dominant semi-religious celebrations for these alien species, and neither of them is openly monotheistic. We have the the Centauri, which is very much this like pantheon of small idols for everything in life, and they even go into explaining, well, we just need a a god for every occasion. Like, if, if a new emperor is there, or if there's a new war that is being fought, they probably have a new deity for that, just to go along with it. And I could even imagine that these uh, gods are like in the Roman Empire, just, um, yeah, they they found a, a religion with, with this god uh, in, on this planet and hey, yeah, that, that we could use that, that fits that's right. That's ours. Yes. Yeah, that, that's ours, exactly. Which Which would be interesting to see, like, why do they have so many gods? Well, they've conquered and colonized so many of the other alien species. <laughs> like, I, I wonder if you would take the little statues that they have on their table and, like, carry them to the other ceremonies, how many of them you would immediately recognize of, oh, this this figure you obviously stole from the Barkiri, this one is obviously from the Ri, and, and so on. Uh, that, that that would be an interesting, interesting way to look at it. I mean, exactly that would explain why the Centauri were back there so uh, successful 
because like the Roman Empire, uh, they just concluded everything in their culture and didn't so there the reason to to um just to, to for a new um yeah part in in their empire was not to say, not to say no because their culture uh, just keep was 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 kept it wasn't annihilated or or destroyed it was just consumed in a in a way which would be interesting to see why, especially with the Narn, this this creates such a antagonism there. Um, we know the Narn were relatively technologically underdeveloped compared to the Centauri, so maybe there was too much of a difference there that the Centauri couldn't assimilate this as easily uh, into their own culture, or some something went wrong there, or or maybe maybe there is even parts of uh, non culture that have been actually adopted by the Centauri, and this is something that they're hung up about. Definitely something to be on the lookout for. I mean, I, at least we don't have information about the non-religion, or if there's something like... Yeah, I just wanted to say that it's interesting that we don't get any, like, formal information about non-religion, like we don't have any display or anything, or uh, not aware that there is something for them happening yeah. but as a subplot or as a b-plot for this episode that is about religion and culture we have this assassin plot which is kind of a statement on non-culture in general i would love to talk more about non-culture because there are so many little tidbits that uh, some of which i only noticed on 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 this uh, on this watch the russo uh, definitely let's uh, let's let's have a closer look on that and uh, what's already apparent uh, Jakar is part of the Minbari ceremony and the Hewn ceremony. He's not part of the Centauri ceremony as far as I know, which, yeah, makes sense. Um, but in, in both the ones where he is, he's very quick also to storm away from them and doesn't participate. Uh, so he seems in general not very much inclined, which then kind of opens the question, did the Nan just not plan any big presentation of the culture or is it more Jakar himself that didn't want to do this? And yeah, sure, he was preoccupied being scared of an assassin, so that's also... Yeah, but not just that he was preoccupied, I meant, I meant that writing it this way kind of made a comment on non-culture absolutely. from another point of view. Uh, absolutely. Here we have non-culture in practice. <laughs> it's also a kind of presentation. Okay, I, I am glancing very quickly, uh, but I think uh, we've talked about this in Tori, we've talked about the Mbari. Do we want to jump to the end and talk about uh, Sinclair's human culture presentation for a moment? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Yes, we were both very <laughs> curious how you feel about this, Mike, because you talked about humans are special stories uh, before. <laughs> yes, yes, and we have special here, but I have to admit, I liked it because there are so many religions, and I mean, it's not just the, the really big ones presented here, but also uh, smaller smaller groups uh, of, of people. And I mean, uh, what I was... What I thought was really interesting is that the first one is a non-religious person. I mean, and 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 honestly, yes, that's what 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 is is forgotten usually. I mean, you have then you need an opposite. You need a non-religion to have a religion. And I really like that that it start and I mean it starts with an atheist. Yes, I, I really like that too because people sometimes forget when we talk about religion, we sometimes forget that um, 
as important as it is to have the right to believe in something and to practice your religion, it is just as important to um, not have a religion and to not want to have one. Like I remember like the first times when I was in church with my mother and I didn't stand up anymore. I didn't pray with them anymore. I basically was there for help and support, but not for all of the religious stuff anymore. And there was such a big problem and I realized that they, this religious group really could not understand the importance of not wanting a religion. And that was kind of reaching because I thought very religious people would accept any kind of spiritual uh, or personal mindset that you have towards this. <clears throat> In that case, I realized, no, they don't. They don't realize how important it is to not have a God, for example. And especially that you have the right to choose this for you. Yeah. And that is also psychologically important then to not join a prayer, to not participate in anything because, yeah, it's, it's not right for you mentally to do that. And, yeah. and I, I think this is also notable. He puts this at the very beginning here. I think this is also necessary because you cannot present all of the religions that come after side by side if you don't start out with the idea none of these can have a claim to be exclusive or entirely dominant or the only option, because if that were the case, they would be mutually exclusive. So you have to start with the statement, all of this is optional, and you have these choices, and only then the rest can exist next to each other. But I think this is also a thing, it's, it's very good that you, that you mentioned the importance of choices, that you both mentioned the importance of choices, because in engaging with Babylon 5 and with this episode especially, this is one of the first moments where I've really noticed that it makes a huge difference whether you're not uh, you're consuming this show that is a American show produced for an American market, if you are consuming this as an American or as, in our case, a Europeans. Because in discussions about this episode and the importance of putting atheists there, this is a much, much bigger deal in the US than it is here in Europe, especially in, in, in Germany where secularism is extremely strong in France as well. Um, it's a much bigger deal in the US, let alone in the 90s US, where openly being an atheist isn't really an option in, in every part of the country. And so JMS putting this here front and center is, is a big thing, uh, definitely. But I think this also plays into this idea that I, I think it's notable that we see somebody like Garibaldi who we don't really learn about his own religion, but he, who is definitely also very openly skeptical about everything that is going on and having this as part of the cast and not as an antagonism. It's not like, ah, he's he's the stick in the mud and he's a problem because of that. No, that's just a personal stance that he has. And from what we know about uh, the actor Jerry Doyle, uh, this is also something that he would personally have been very big on having the option of putting, putting his own uh, opinion on that. I'm still interested, even though you're not as hard on this scene as I was afraid you might be, Maike, um, I'm, I'm still interested in which way we interpret this scene ultimately, because I feel like there are still two different options, whether or not this scene tells us a lot about humanity in relation to all the other species in this universe, or whether it tells us more about uh, Sinclair as a character. Because I wonder, do we take this scene to mean literally that in the Babylon 5 universe, humans are special because they have this big religious diversity and cultural diversity and the other species like the Membari and the Nan and Centauri just straight up do not have that? Or do we take it to say more so, oh no, probably 
this kind of diversity exists in all these other species. They just didn't, they, the, their, their ambassadors didn't choose to show it that way. It's special about Sinclair that he says, no, I'm, I'm the guy that's going to, to kind of not show any ceremony per se, but just do a showcase of everyone. Because both, I find, would be plausible, but they would have different implications for how we watch this show going forward, I think. I would feel more to uh, that it's uh, a choice for of who, who Sinclair made, or which Sinclair made, or language package not working anymore. Um, no, it's it, uh, because what we what we said uh, before about um, if uh, Sinclair did this all of his, on on his own, or if there was a um, preconception for him. Um, if there, it, it it that really doesn't matter if there was a preconception because in the end, um, Sinclair is the one who decided to present in this way. So I would, for me, for me, clearly say uh, that it's his decision to say we don't have this, this, and this, or this one religion. We have many, because from what we learned for, uh, about him until now, I would say he is he's leaning more to um, an so, some sort of individualism. And part of being an individual is that you can choose of the options you have. And these and religion is an option you can make, a choice you can make, we, as we already um, elaborated. So, yeah, I, I think this is, is Sinclair's choice to say we're they are all equal and you can um you can go and and search what is most fitting to to you to your beliefs uh, and the way you live or want to live um yeah i would like to say something to that question in like about tea season sure no because um i i can just say that um, we see that we have some cultures um, here that have been very much shaped by any ideas of la of racism of any kind, like the Centauri, and then also another version or consequence out of it, the Narn, for example. Mm -hmm. And then we have cultures where this motive is not so upfront, and we still have to see what is kind of upfront. I mean, we have the Minbari where just following and obedience is kind of like the um, big factor that shaped everything. So we, with presenting that this diversity is still there and that there still are in command stuff and also in political uh, uh, um, um, discussions, there are still voices like Sinclair who choose to promote this diversity. We see that human culture, human civilization in this universe has not been under these influences are uh, uh, shaped by the same mechanisms like the Centauri, for example, and have mm. not developed this uh, this ex exclusion as a society. So that's definitely something we see here, and I cannot go any further. We will definitely have to come to, back to this topic uh, multiple times. Maybe this is even going to be a yearly celebration, the Parliament of Dreams. Maybe every season has this episode in it. That would be fun. I'm, I'm sure Mike would be looking forward to more religious ceremonies every single occasion. Um, 
No, it's just something that I'm also very interested, particularly with the Centauri, because we have made already so many comparisons there to ancient Rome and ancient Greece. And I just wonder how much for them it's also a case of outwardly portraying this is our culture and it is unified and it is civilized compared to all the barbarians out there. But then if you zoom in on it and look at it in detail, it would still be this massively diverse thing where like every city has its own version of different cults for each of the different gods. And ultimately there is a huge range of, of diversity in there, but something that is uh, deliberately obscured to any outsider because you want to portray this much more culture supremacy that they that they kind of claim for themselves. But okay, maybe let's swerve into the third plot to talk about, which is kind of the secondary plot of the episode, I would say, the assassination attempt. Um, but I would like to stick with the cultural topic for just a moment, because I think this is the most we've seen of both Jakar, because he has a wonderful chest prosthetic in this one, which is very great, uh, and we see a lot about his quarters. And there were just a few details in there that really stood out to me this time. Uh, for one, we see him uh, making his dinner, which is, uh, I think, a pig's head, a giant one, which he just is ready to bite into. I would have loved to see what this would have looked like if he wasn't interrupted. <laughs> he has these little crabs that uh, try to skedaddle away from him, which was very cute. Um, but the one that stood out most to me is when he is with Natoth later on, when he's afraid, he has a knife in his hand, and I don't know if either of you noticed this, but this is straight up a Flintstone knife. Like it has the leaf shaped, uh, leaf shaped little uh, little blade, and it is like bound together with a piece. But this looks like a Stone Age tool. I have never noticed it. I had never noticed it before, but it it looks like a Stone Age tool. And the the, the table, the walls around him, he looks like he's living in a cave. And now we know the the. Nan weren't as advanced as the Centauri when the Centauri came, but I never got the impression that they were this backwards, but very much this is a portrayal of them as... Yeah, but I mean, you have Stone A, you have society, civilizations even on Earth that basically are were on the level of Stone Age technology because they used stone tools mostly and were super advanced, like Mayas, Inca... For example, I think many of them were only had stone tools, but were uh, advanced yeah. more than Stone Age times, just in their astronomy and so far. It would be interesting to see how much technology the Narn actually had when they were invaded, and how much they had developed, although they still used stone tools. It would be super interesting. It would be super interesting. I mean, we know about them that were agrarian, which in these South American examples, especially when they have obsidian tools and stuff, is definitely something that can happen. That's wouldn't be crazy as an assumption, but yeah, it just it just jumped out at me in on this watch through that we get to see some parts of this culture and it is something quite radical to see in a science fiction show. And obviously also something to keep in mind, like obviously they are not on this tech level anymore, but they are very much choosing to maintain this. And part of this for me is also wondering how much of a more advanced culture did the Narn have, but it got destroyed. So they have been kind of the, sort of reduced to the very basics of what was left after the, after the Centauri occupation. Because I was also wondering a little bit about this thing. Um, why does it seem that a lot of alien species are more sort of monolithic in their culture in a lot of science fiction? And one possible explanation in this 
Babylon 5 universe would be, well, the Centauri have been colonizing everyone for a long time, and one thing that colonizers love to do is erase cultures wherever they go so that they get reduced to the very basics. And yeah, seeing the seeing Drakkar with a stone knife in hand, that is kind of what came to mind. Like, I'm, I'm just wondering what's more in terms of arts and materials and stuff was developed for the Nan and then just lost around the way. I mean, we can look at modern examples where there are some African cultures that had very sophisticated metalworking. It's just a shame that most of that metalworking is in a museum in London right now, so they can't really show that off. There was a lot of stuff stolen there today, so I don't yeah. have anything to do with that. No, I'm I'm just, uh, this is something that's uh, as a contrast really is. But I also then find it interesting that the reason why we develop our technology or why we changed from stone tools to bronze to iron later is not always that we make uh, a new discovery and know that this is so much better than before. It has so many different reasons, like trade routes, like... Uh, uh, for example, if the, 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 the road from, from the Middle East to Europe would just for geographical reasons be more difficult, we could have, st we could have stayed hunter-gatherers for centuries longer. We could have stayed in the Stone Age for so much longer. So it's always very complex to see how this changes, I guess. And we don't know I that mean, we We don't know enough about the planet itself and, and the... Um, the inhabitants except for the non on this planet. I mean, maybe there are creatures that are especially good killed with uh, a stone knife. Very possibly so. Or maybe there's some really fucked up reason why producing uh, metal work is just super complicated on Narn. I mean, it might just be the point that most metal has been stripped mined away. Could yeah. could be as simple as that. I mean, and, and another possible reason that I'm I'm wondering about is this thing we know the the Narn have advanced technology now. They build spaceship and everything, uh, spaceships and everything. But most of that was scavenged from the Centauri, and was this like rush to get to uh, to get to this level of becoming a power of their own that can stand up to the Centauri. So it's also a question: How different does technology and does culture develop if you have this specific goal in mind? Every piece of metal that I get to work with, every piece of advanced technology that I have, has to be militarily, uh, militarily utilized because I can't afford any kind of luxury beyond that because otherwise the Centauri might come back. So it's also this thing like maybe the entire cultural aspect of, of non life has been a little bit uh, to the wayside because everything has been now under the prerogative of militarizing themselves, which would fit what uh, Drakkar talked about uh, when he was in the Zen Garden with Sinclair about them having a peaceful and lush and agrarian culture before that has now been just sort of lost or has become part of the past because they just cannot afford to maintain that in the face of the threat they have around them any time. I mean, as much as I like the image of a caveman with a pump gun, um... Maybe it's just a, a resource problem that the, I mean, you need a lot of, of, of spaceships and, and everything to, to um, protect your planet. And if there are, well, resources are limited. And if there's not much on Narn, um, then yeah, it, it would be um, a, a wise choice to, to uh, channel everything they have in to the 
the one thing that really can help them, protect them, save their lives. Absolutely. Yes, and what I also now had to think about when we watched him eat his uh, dinner or trying to eat his dinner. Actually, I hated when that happened. I hated uh, when that happens in general in books and movies when you have someone there with like a, a, a hot drink that they were craving or their dinner or something and then something happens or the plot starts and they just can't eat their food. I just, I just hate it. And one of my favorite book series always starts with having coffee and not being able to drink it for some very adventurous reason, like a demon is popping in and I was like, why is it happening? But um, what I... It's the worst. <laughs> the worst. But what I now had to think about when I saw him having this hat, this pig hat or whatever in front of him, and the cave in the back and now the tool thing, I had to... It also gave me kind of the, the vibes of people in Mongolia today still living in a yurt. I mean, they exist. Yeah, and culture is very much active and there are still celebrations even when you live in one of the cities and you have technology and you're not a white caveman anymore. You still have your holidays where you eat like a, a sheep hat or whatever served in a certain way. So, um, and um, yeah, that's, so that's, that's an association I, I got from him very strongly in this episode. I think this is something that we should just reiterate. This is not to argue that the the non cave people that have spaceships now like <laughs> Yes, they have cities and advanced infrastructure and everything like that. Like, obviously, they are an advanced civilization. But uh, but I think, and this maybe touches on, on Yurts and Mongolia, it's this thing if so much of the advanced technology is something that was brought on from the outside, if you then have uh, a culture that is trying to hold on to its own identity and is, is very much concerned with building an identity that is really of their own, then they might just... Uh, go further and further back in history to find these things that are unquestionably absolutely now uh, absolutely their own and in the case of Nan, it might just be the case that the Nan have made many advancements of their own since the centauri uh, were on their home world but if you want to so have something that is purely Nan, that is just the epitome of what it means to be Nan, you want to go back to a time where they didn't have any contact with the outside world with the galactic stage and this might just be something very very early on and i think this is um, clearly in the case of Jakar, the case, like there's no reason for him to have anything of stone in his quarters except the deliberate choice of saying this is something that I want to present and want to present proudly. And uh, it's, it's obviously working also. Like he, he is in a strong position. Yeah. In general, I feel like the plot, we can talk more general about Absolutely. it. Right? In general, this plot and how it was told and acted out it was a lot of fun to watch. Actually, it always reminds me of like 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 a drama club in school because they had so much fun acting it all out. <clears throat> I mean, everything we love about Chikar, all his little affections to this point were like as an absolute high note. Every song he sings is fantastic. Him in his pajamas is an absolute delight. I don't know how many hours it took to get these non apps on screen, but it was worth it. It was great. Uh, Don Wright to his little banter uh, about his uh, proclivity with human women that he has both with uh, with his uh, with his attaché and then later with Garibaldi. Just the fact that he has this whole private life that is exactly as extravagant as we expected it to be is yeah, great also, to see. Also, his, his assassin who had this little uh, reading glasses on. Those were so. It's so nice to see that this isn't a Jacal thing. It's a noun thing in general. Yeah. They love these little like. Honestly, I, I was so happy when, when I saw, uh, you know, let me catch his name, Tupari with, with his glasses. 
I, I just love it. I really love it. I mean, this, 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 this I will kill you. Wait, um, what are you yeah, Ah, yes, yes, I remember. He is so good that he has like a little manual for his assassination so that he doesn't get the rules wrong and stuff. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and, uh, yeah, a manual according to, 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 um, assassination. Um, I was really happy when, uh, that, uh, whole topic with the death flower. Yes. Um, was presented because I was sitting there, you know this, you know this conception and I, I had to, to think about it, but um, it's, I'm not sure about the translation, the, it's the black spot or the black dot. Um, it's created by uh, Robert Louis Stevenson in, uh, the, in his book Treasure Island. Oh, yes. There is, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a black dot obviously um on a usually bright background that is given to um pirates uh to to warn them uh to to tell them to give them a sign you will die soon um and yeah robert louis stevenson created this in his uh in his novel and it's been quite often um reproduced it, it i think it was Cari Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and uh, even Doctor Who um, was it what was used and yeah I was really happy to see oh my god Babylon 5 is also on this list I really love this it is and I'm very happy that you made this connection because I was already distracted by that point as soon as they started about uh, talking about an assassin's guild I was thinking back to hey I, I was part of that in Oblivion I remember joining that club in various fantasy RPGs like this was another thing where the Narn in this episode feel so much like a part of anything but a science fiction show. Like this sounded like such a fantasy concept to have in this show. It was it was delightful. I, I, I really like the idea. And like you already alluded to, um, this is also obviously a part of uh, Narn culture that we see play out live and in action. It's not demonstration, but we see that assassins guilds and these blood depths and these uh, old like rivalries among the higher circles of the government are definitely a thing and uh yeah it's it sounds like a rather martial and honor-bound culture in that way and maybe that's that's a good uh time to to go to an atoth i i really i mean uh kodash was 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 a bit hmm. But Natoth is perfect. I, I love her. She is Excellent. she she's so gorgeous. I, I love her. I love her interaction later with, with um Jakar. <laughs> um and I I, I mean you it, I saw it coming. I mean everyone, I'm sure everyone saw it coming when she was sitting there. Oh, did you get a death flower? No, oh, you don't have to be uh, to be scared. And then he's sleeping and oh fuck, there is a death flower. Um yeah, she, she is. She's perfect. I I hope she doesn't die uh, in this in 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 a uh, yeah sad and and very strange way with a malfunctioning airlock. Yeah, that that would be a shame. I I also love that she comes in as the counterweight to Lanier. Like we already had Veer as the sort of bumbling aide, then we have Lanier as the complete like obedient, timid guy, and she is like 
pretty much for the entirety on the episode, pretty much on the same level as Jakar. Like, she's eye-to-eye with him, punches him in the face and doesn't apologize for it. Like, this is a much different relationship that uh, these two seem to have. Yeah, the the unfortunate airlock accident with Kodath unfortunately came down to real-life reasons. It's just a problem that the non-makeup is incredibly intensive to get into and they were using adhesives and colors that were prone to provoking allergic reactions. So this is just something that um, is, is, is a problem, especially with these 90s shows. These elaborate makeups are just a massive strain and not everybody is able to carry through with this. So unfortunately, the actress for Kadath, as far as I know, just wasn't able to return for this part because it was just too dangerous to actually get in there and risk any kinds of reactions. And yeah, with this, it uh, she she aligns with with uh, the actors in um, Andromeda. There was um, oh god, and I I don't remember his his name, um, but he had this full fur suit and rather um, yeah heavy makeup, so he got a very uh, heavy uh, allergic reactions. Now we we don't learn a lot about the background or the the further ramifications, but maybe just uh, to talk about this assassination plot as something we learn about uh, not only non-culture, but also, of course, it's fun seeing Jakar flailing around desperately trying to, to trying to deal with the situation. But I think it still also tells us a lot about how much of his strength and villainousness uh, uh, against Londo is also just an act that he puts on because we see in this episode him dealing with a problem where he would have every right to to go ham and kill this assassin and he deliberately doesn't and comes up with this rather whimsical way of disposing of the assassin and getting him on the run and stuff a little bit which is still still kind of cruel still probably condemning the guy to death but we kind of see that he doesn't really play this this hard strongman role as much uh, outside of of diplomatic interactions with londo but on the other hand it's actually quite a smart um a way of handling it because mm. if he would have killed this um this assassin himself he might um get in problem with the guild and also he's um putting up a sign saying hey um I have this power to to yeah turn someone um, in favor for me. Um, so yeah, there there might be um, less likely to be an um, equal incident. Absolutely, we see him being a little bit cunning in himself, not only dealing with other species but also in the internal politics. And I think this is also uh, sort of the last big of the ambassadors that we had to learn about uh, the skeletons in his closet. We know that Dylan has all these secrets about her, which she immediately also involves Lanier in, whether he wants to or not, which is too bad for him. We definitely know uh, that that Londo has some dark secrets in his past. We heard about that in multiple times, most recent with the Purple Files. And now we know that uh, Jakar also was involved in like some sort of nefarious dealings among his own government. So we see that being an ambassador on Babylon 5 is also something that the people that get this sort of position have a tumultuous past and probably did some some unsavory things to get into this kind of position of power. Well, what we didn't talk about is Ivanova. We uh, kind of ignored her 
Um, I mean, she doesn't have a lot of scenes, but I really was surprised seeing her when uh, the drinking was with Lando uh, and obviously being happy about this celebration that's going on. Um, I I'm not sure if this is some sort of Russian cliche used here or if this really is some some sort of just her character that she's just happy that there's uh, not a disaster happening and I don't know but I really like that it, it was it was kind of cute to see yeah I really also just loved her her uh slightly amused acceptance of this story that she just heard that is a disaster that didn't happen when she was around and had to do something about it and just this excessive celebration for a weird reason and just her ability to accept that it's a, it's a very Slavic impulse, but I saw that, but it's also a lot of character, I guess. It's just, oh, there was a big mess, and I didn't have to do anything here. And I think it suits that we know about her that she's very strict when she's on duty, but then she also is much more approachable when duty is over and she goes to a bar. Like, this is how Talia managed to get her first interactions with her. And I think this celebration of the Centauri is just right in this gray zone, where, yeah, technically... This is an official occasion, but it is at a bar and you are supposed to let your hair down a little bit. And so I think she just embraces that and goes along with it. And I, I, I in general, all the reactions of all the characters seeing Dylan in the middle of the Centauri celebration was just delightful yeah. because she was just as confused as she was with the popcorn in Garibaldi's quarters. Just this was a million times more overwhelming. So she just... You had nothing to say, not even negative about this, and it was just very, very delightful. Yeah, and now I just re remembered uh, that when Lando was was starting to crawl over this this table, that she said, oh, "You're kind of cute." And I really loved it, especially when he says it to Garibaldi in a kind of annoying way. But you're cute. And in purple, I, I am stunning is like one of the most favorite quotes from from fans of the show, and there was a good reason for this. Um, <laughs> To, to give a small glimpse behind the scenes, there are very, very few scenes in Babylon 5 that are improvised because it was directed very strictly after the vision of the creator. This is one of those few times where uh, Peter Jurasek, who plays Londo, uh, did ad-lib a bunch of these lines and just was having fun for his own sake. And it really shows that like the cast is genuinely just having a ton of fun with this kind of celebration and scene. I think I, I will need a gift. When, when Lando is saying this to, to Garibaldi, I, I need this to communicate, to just throw it out every time. You're cute and annoying sort of way. Yeah, that is something that we need. That's um, something I will send on a regular basis to my partner. And as usual, I always like to point out like the, the, the small little pieces where the prop department and the set design did, did a good job. And I think they did a really good job just turning whatever part of the station this was into this like festive ballroom for the Centauri celebration. I, I think it was as a shorthand to convey the lavish sort of lifestyle that the Centauri engage in. I think it worked really well and I just love seeing every scene in Babylon 5 where there are so many extras running around in the background doing their thing and really portraying also the sense that this isn't just a handful of ambassadors running around on the station. They all are leaders of an entire community of this culture that they're bringing aboard. And yeah, this came through very nicely. The same goes for uh, the lens ceremony, which is obviously much more formal, but the way that 
they kind of gave kind of gave us this sense that there is still a big difference between official Ambassador Delenn and then this very ceremonial role that she took on, where her demeanor and her costume and such just felt very different. Okay, in this case, I think we are just about ready to dive a little bit into the tapestry of this episode. Um, I didn't have time to prepare uh, the graphic for the uh, for this one because it's been a packed week, but uh, we can still uh, do the basics. So, um, as usual with Babylon 5, we want to take into account that this is a show that doesn't really fit the formula for 90s science fiction TV, where a reset button is uh, pushed every 45 minutes. But this is also not a fully serialized show from the streaming era that we are used to now. It sits into this kind of strange in-between space, and to really appreciate all the different connective tissues that this show has, we always like to take a look at our tapestry and for every episode, ask ourselves, what are some of the things from the series so far that have played a big role in this one that were kind of connected? And going forward with this episode, what are some of the things that we would like to see continued? And I think there are definitely, um, character-wise, a few things that are picked up. Um, li like I said in the beginning, I think the relationship that Sinclair has uh, with Catherine here, of course, it's a different woman, it's a different character, but even taking this into account, I think the preferences that he has and the kinds of relationships that he has with the people around him still seems like it's um, cut from the same uh, from the same material. It's 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 a similar similar feel to it. Any other connections that were maybe picked up on? Well, we have to wait and see um, how many aids being changed um, in the remaining time. How many more? malfunctioning airlocks uh, there will um, appear. Um, though I, I, I would, since I, I would, uh, yeah, I think we go, should go for the, for the best and think that they will stay for now. I think Natal should, should be careful around airlock doors because she is also just absolutely gorgeous in this makeup. I think the way that they made this work, uh, it's it's not easy to do this with this heavy makeup that's like alters your facial structure so much to make it look still good, but uh, no, it, it works really well in this one. Well, we definitely had Delenn's secret that was a, an issue again, um, and that her secret goes that far that even uh, when uh, Lanier arrived, he had to break. He constantly has to break protocol while he uh, talks to her. Uh, so we see that this thing is still there, but we have no idea what. It's kind of a reminder of the secret, but I think also one of the first times that we really get to see her as Satai in action. I think so far we always learned, yeah, she's part of the Great Council ruling body of uh, of Minbar. That's great, but now we actually see, oh no, this is a position where she just gets a random guy from her culture and just tells him what to do, and he will not ask any questions, which at least to me is a little bit surprising. This isn't like an ordinary politician. This is a much more like a revered figure that has a very direct authority over people. This isn't just somebody that has theoretical legislative power. No, no, this is somebody who will just tell you what to do and can, in, in a very straightforward fashion, order people around. Yeah, I think that's it from connections to episodes that we've had before, is that? I would say everything to do with the Centauri is just dialed up to 11. I, I I mean, I think uh, the main part for me is we learn that what the Centauri are doing 
isn't new and it's not something that they started when they encountered other species they have always done this they are built on this which i think is important especially if we start talking about what's happening on earth if there is something happening on earth we talked in this episode a little bit about how does earth stand to its own culture and there we are talking about this sort of Earth first movement overthrowing an otherwise rather democratic and uh, liberal society. This isn't what seems to have happened with the Centauri. The Centauri aren't a state that unfortunately went the wrong path like a hundred years ago and since then things have gone wrong. No, this is ingrained into their culture to its very core. They have always been that. And so if we're also thinking about what potentially over the course of the series could be done to maybe improve the state of the world a little bit. I mean, usually that is what, what TV shows tend to do. Um, there has to, will have to be something more than sort of restoring uh, the old, like the, the Centauri aren't like the Galactic Empire where if you kill the Emperor, then everything is going to go back to the New Republic and it's going to be fine. Like this is, this is a deeper rooted problem that's, uh, that people will have to deal with. And I think this is just very much emphasized in this episode again. Anything that uh, we think we might carry forward from here? We already talked, uh, obviously, hopefully, Jakar's AIDS. Um, any any hopes that we maybe have also for uh, Delenn's aid, Lanier? I mean, so far he's been kind of a kind of a piece of furniture for her to delegate tasks to. But maybe ideas what what would be, for example, an interesting thing, an interesting character dynamic, maybe that you could imagine for Delenn to have. To kind of bounce off of i would more say in general i mean i know what uh, is happening but i'm trying to block it out right now um i think that it's interesting that we have lanier who is really like a super un ironic unsarcastic humorless obedient jedi kind of person <laughs> and it's just interesting that now he's on this station where there are so many other cultures and where there are humans around and everything and just to see him deal with a bigger situation to see him develop a sense of humor to see him in confusing situations where people don't say what they mean and act uh, not accordingly to what they told him and things like that to see him getting used to that could be interesting I guess. It'd be fun and I mean we talked a little bit about how the Mumbari have this sort of esoteric cult-like culture about obedience and stuff and Lanier has ultimately in this episode done what you always want to do with people that grew up in this society, which is get out of there and get into contact with the rest of the world. Get out of Mimbar. Yeah, yeah, yes, but <laughs> I mean, legitimately, it's this thing you want to get people out of these, uh, out of this context to sort of deprogram them and get them thinking for themselves. But obviously, this then also has built in a little bit of character conflict there. Like, how long will this? sort of identity that he has built up around himself about just being obedient and don't craving understanding, how long is this going to be feasible if he's in this world where he will have to start trying to understand people around him because they're not Minbari and he will just not be able to function if that isn't a thing that he does. And I could imagine that this is something where uh, problems might arise from. Um, even with um, in contact with, with Delen because she has her her way she she, she wants um things done a certain way and what if there's a situation where the the protocol or whatever you want to call it is so strict 
um, that there, yeah, two two sides are are colliding. What will happen then? Yeah, like what's what if you make Lanier choose between Dylan and the culture that he grew up with because he has been away for a longer time. What is what is that? I'm actually kind of sad that we didn't get to hear him talk about Minbar when she asked about that because she was so away for so long from home. It would have been great to see uh, sort of his perspective on everything. If he has any of it, he would just say, well, I know my temple and nothing else. So, <laughs> so that's that too bad. I Yeah, m maybe that's exactly it. Um, we, we said it jokingly a little bit, but uh, looking forward, we have uh, still uh, just about five seasons of Upload 5 ahead of us. This was one of the big events, uh, sort of, what do you do with the Babylon 5 station, have an event of interacting cultures. So I, I think we can also expect that this isn't the last time that we've seen something like this. Certainly we won't have, like, every every other episode this big religious exchange. I think this would get old over time, but, um, you know, the local alien cultures celebrating something and having to deal with that is definitely something that will... Uh, come up again and uh, we've seen in this episode sort of small snippets of the differences and um, potential conflicts that can come from that there will be more maybe the next time they try to have a nice dinner together <laughs> oh this could be like a star trek 6 situation where the klingons get invited and you see like the direct culture clash of them both sides genuinely trying to be diplomatic and just horribly failing because they just don't have the sensitivities for that. That would be fun. I would like to see Garibaldi in this kind of situation and struggling with it. That would be fun. Or he would just sit on the sidelines eating popcorn and watch it burn. Only once it starts escalating. And like, This is the problem. He's like chief of security, so you would have to deal with it. Uh, maybe after retirement. Maybe this is his, his ultimate plan. As usual, we will have a little question uh, for our lurkers out there. And we also asked a question over the course of the last week, inspired by Maike, which she made a comment uh, that at least at this point in the show, she wouldn't mind Garibaldi and Sinclair switching jobs for, for a spin and see how that goes, because maybe Garibaldi is a little bit better at delegating. Unfortunately, we had a vote, uh, a poll with 20 votes so far asking who people think would have made an interesting alternative to Sinclair and Garibaldi came in last uh, by a landslide. Nobody else wants to see Garibaldi in this position. Um, and people did point out, and I think this is completely justified, if we look a little bit further ahead, maybe our opinion on Sinclair will also change. Like, this is um, something that is worth considering. And I mean, just looking at this episode, he had a pretty good idea on how to represent Earth. And I also pointed out just a moment ago that also our opinion on Garibaldi can change. Later on, we see some flaws that may just change the picture a little bit. But who won the poll? That's the interesting question. Uh, the poll was won, and I don't think this is going to be terribly uh, surprising, by Susan Ivanova, his second in command. People would love to see her in charge. And especially seeing her handle the reporter in infection, <laughs> I agree that she would definitely clean house. Like... Her authority is definitely not an issue. Um, what I also found very interesting is the uh, second uh, highest choice in this poll was Noru Takashima from The Gathering, which we quite liked. And yeah, I, I would have liked to see, I would have especially have loved to see uh, the power team of Noru Takashima and Ivanova together as like second in commands and then leading, leading the charge for the station. That would have been an interesting duo, I think. 
because they have like very similar ideas on how to bend the rules and how to get the authority across. That would have been a really fun, fun mix. Um, how would you celebrate, uh, no matter if it's your birthday or something else, uh, where on the spectrum between a Mimbari a ceremony and a Centauri ceremony, what do you um, put yourself in? And as usual, feel free to answer this question in the comments below or in our Facebook discussion group on Twitter if we put up the poll and any place else where you can find us. We have a list of all social media links in the description with a small caveat that YouTube always takes a while to fully verify your channel so that you can have all these uh, links there properly. Uh, but yeah, there you can find us. And in general, in all social media networks, you can find us at the Third Age Podcast. Yes, we will upload the poll in a few days after you watch this. Uh, many of you general words on polls. I started one after we watched The Road Home and I made a, a fourth option that um, said to that to as, as, as an answer to the question it said maybe but and people voted for maybe but but didn't write a comment comment didn't fit the line for the respond anymore but it was meant that you write a comment when you wrote for that yeah that's just uh i i wanted to say that at some point yes exactly always feel free to put your own opinions in the comments on, on anything we would love to engage with those okay i think then Unless Mike, you had a comment. Um, just saying that no matter if you if it's a comment or just a like, a share, whatever you do to interact uh, and uh, maybe a little promote uh, our podcast is uh, very nice and loved, and um, we thank you, thank you for that very much, our dear lurkers, and um, hope you have uh, had a nice time listening to this and. I promise from now on we'll be back on time since my vocation is over. <laughs>